welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. Happy Monday, Beth. Happy Monday. How's it going? Good. You know, I just was remembering it's Super Bowl. It's what? The Super Bowl is on Sunday. Oh. So it was yesterday when right. people were listening to this. Yay, Chiefs. I know. <laughs> I hope the Chiefs win big. That's and my I prediction. That, <laughs> I hope I win big, too, on my thing that we bet money on with your mother. Oh, Super Bowl pool. You know, I just got it. I printed it out, and I haven't gone on to see what my numbers are. Yeah, I don't know what they have... mean. What do you mean you don't know what they mean? I told you I don't know how to read it. So you, It's the score. So it's I the know. last number. I know. Uh, so basically, like, if you go and look, like – you know, if you have like a seven and seven, well, that's a pretty good numbers to have because uh, yeah. sevens are common. If you have like three, no, three is fine. Two and like, I don't know, five, 11 or something. <laughs> well, it only goes till 10. So it goes zero oh, to nine. Exactly. Gotcha. So it's the last number of the score. Okay. But like, if you have a two and a five, like how often I'll, do they have? I'll Google it. I'll figure yeah. it out. Or so, your mom will just email me and say you won this much money. <laughs> or, I'll, or I'll text you because I look at everyone's. Like yeah. on the Super Bowl, I'm like. Oh, to see who won. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. There we go then. You just Anyway. Me. We okay. have a plan. But I hope the Chiefs win too. But I'm a little nervous for them. I've got to tell you. Yeah. I think the I, Eagles might give them a run for their money. Right. Yeah. I don't really know much about the Eagles, but I like the Chiefs. I'm not I like the Chiefs. Chiefs fan but i like them my <laughs> oldest is a chief's fire on mm-hmm. they just had book fair right mm-hmm. give all my kids money for book fair mm-hmm. my daughter buys like five books and a bookmark my littlest one came home with a book and a bunch of pokemon cards mm-hmm. my oldest five posters Chief's poster. <laughs> well, just, no, he got a Michael Jordan poster. He got like uh, a Fortnite poster. Po five posters. They had Chiefs ones at ours. Maybe they don't do well, them at yours. He did get one Chiefs one. He oh, did. okay. Yeah, I'm a Holmes one. Sorry, not okay. Chiefs, but I'm a Holmes one. But it, he got a variety of of posters. Five, five of them. Yeah, mm. it's typical. Yeah, <laughs> it's like book fair, book fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get it <Yeah>. together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Patreon. We want to thank Patreon. Oh, yes. Thank you to our new Patreon, Michelle H. Welcome in. Yes. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks for yes. supporting us. We appreciate yeah. it. We've just got a crime episode coming up. Yeah. There on the Patreon. So. Well, she's got a bunch up. to catch up on. She does. <laughs> 20. I just was looking. There's like 26 posts or something. Oh, wow. On Patreon right now. So quite a bit. Oh, interesting. Yeah. All right. What do you have? I know um, you have something. I do have a story for you. And it's, I, I mean, I think it's completely fascinating. My friend here in Malou told me this the other night when she was here for um, Bachelor. She is uh, has like her own event planning company. Mm-hmm. That's and, so fun. Yeah. 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 It is interesting. Um. And so she ha- has planned like incentive trips in the past where like, you know, a business, you know, they have incentive trips and they uh-huh. bring their employees all. And this one particular one was in California 
and she, and I could not believe that she had not told me this and she couldn't believe she hadn't told me it yet either. But so one of the incentive, this incentive trip specifically had a day where they went to Alcatraz mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and got a tour, right? Like a private tour. And then like had dinner there. And so they, anyway, so, but the very interesting parts of this is that she managed to coordinate the people that were giving them a tour. There were certain people on along the way that would like meet them at certain spots and tell them like stories and whatever. And one was the last known living inmate from Alcatraz. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. The other one was the daughter of the assistant warden during the one, like, escape that was a success and they have not solved it. Like, they never caught the guys and they have no idea if they even, like, survived or made it or whatever. Okay. And the other one was a guard that was on his first day, one of the guards that worked there, on his first day witnessed another inmate stabbing another in the barbershop. That was his oh, first day. Right. <laughs> and so anyway, so those, I mean, they're all very interesting people. Yeah. To just like come along and be like, okay, so this is whatever. And I don't know the story that the inmate told, um, but the assistant warden told the story about, because like the people who worked there, their families lived on the island. Because like. <laughs> right. Right. And so she's like, so these three guys, it was supposed to be four, break out and they like never catch them. And have no idea if they like got off the island or not. And I was looking at it like on the FBI.gov, like there's this whole story about it. Two they were brothers and then this other guy. And they just like they like cut holes in like the grates for the the vents. Mm-hmm. And they shimmied in there and then they would like use this area that was like never um, secure to like basically plan this. I don't know how, I can't remember how long it took them to plan it, but they were like making, um, life vests out of, um, I can't even think like raincoats and like a raft, a raft, raft. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I laughed really hard at the way you said that for some raft. (laughs) Okay. A raft out of like they like, were like sewing these things together that they could blow up. So maybe they did get off. Well, so basically the reasons why they and there was they made like makeshift oars that I guess was found on the island that they were planning to like row to, but they don't know if it was like capsized. They capsized and that just happened mm-hmm. to get up on the shore or whatever. But anyway, the reasons why. They spent like 12 years, um, I I think, investigating this. And the reasons why they don't think they made it is because, yes, there have been plenty of people that have like swam that two, I think it's two miles or a mile mile swim from Alcatraz to Angel Island. But they had like really frigid water and Mm -hmm. currents and stuff like that at the time. So they were like, I don't think they could have made it. Then they were supposed to get there. They were supposed to steal clothes in a car once they were on land. And they never heard of any, like, thefts in that area after that. And it was a pretty high-profile thing, so people probably would have mm-hmm. reported stuff. They didn't have – they couldn't see anybody family ties. Like, if they got help from family, they didn't really have the financial means their families. And then 
Oh, 17 years. Sorry. There was no credible evidence to suggest that they were still alive in the U.S. or overseas. So anyway, they closed the case in 1979 because it happened in like 62. And they closed it and they turned it over to the U.S. Marshals, who continues to investigate it. But they have no idea. They don't think they're still alive. But anyway, so that daughter, she was like there when that happened. And then the guard who witnessed it. Anyway, and then they moved on to the shower room where she said was like really spooky and that's where they had their dinner but they had like decorated it with lights and like put all this like ambiance that you didn't really know you were in the shower room unless you like looked up and saw the shower heads in there gosh how i was like uh if you ever do that again can i be your assistant for that trip like i want to (laughs) go that's fun yeah anyway i thought that was so i do have a question how do they know that they were planning on stealing a car and they were planning on stealing clothes and that they made these rafts. How do they know that? Well, they have um, like an area that they found where all their tools were and the place that they were like making all this stuff. Okay. There's like pictures of it on this website. Um, And then the fourth guy that was supposed to go with them started cooperating and telling them. Okay. There you go. Because he didn't make it out. He didn't get his great, undone in time so they just left without him gotcha so but very very fascinating it's like story real life shawshank yeah that movie shawshank redemption where he like tunnels through the wall yeah yep mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they made like plaster faces mm-hmm. to like put in their beds to make it look like they were still like with wow. real human hair on it oh my gosh must have been collecting it from the barbershop or something. Like, so, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> While somebody was being stabbed in there, they were taking right. some of the extra hair clippings. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, sorry. That was like another story in itself. That's crazy. <laughs> but. Yeah. Cool. I have a friend who has been to Alcatraz and years ago, like mm-hmm. way before true crime was like a big thing or whatever. And it was like her telling me stories of stuff that she saw and learned was really interesting. Um, there's a bar here that is called the Slammer mm-hmm. and it is built in an old jail. Oh, oh and yeah. They, you said that. Yeah. Yeah. And they kept the cells and like repurposed the inmates beds mm. and like, so a ton of the original stuff is still there, but That's it's cool. a bar called the Slammer. We need to go there. I know. I really <laughs> do want to go. It's in Franklinton, which is like kind of north here it's not like it's like 25 minutes away but anyway it's on the list okay i'll let you know if i ever make it to the sleep all right okay yes maybe i'll make it with you yeah anyway all right now that i had a whole other story in this one (laughs) um we have another awful 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 one so if you want to just end right here you can end right here No, stick with us. Yeah. Anyways, it's still a tough one. So be warned. Okay. I'm warned. I'm going. All right. Then here we go. (laughs) Okay. This case was suggested by our listener, Sandy, on Facebook. Hello, Sandy. Yes. Hello, Sandy. Thank you. I would say thank you, but I know that this is going to be a rough one and long. So <laughs> I have been yeah. uh, disclaimered. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of disclaimers here. She suggested it. I, I think it was like in 
June or something like last year. Oh, and it, and I, I did let her know, like at some point I'm like, Oh, I have to hire, read a book. I got to get the book. And then I'm like, it's going to, this one's a rough case. It's going to take me a while to get through it. So pay, be patient or whatever. So finally getting to it. Um, it just, oh, once I got the book, I didn't want to read a book. And then when I started reading it, I was like, oh my God, this is horrific. I don't want to. Oh, no. There was some articles out there on it, but not a whole lot. And I don't know, like I didn't really read them beforehand. So I wasn't really super familiar with what until I started mm-hmm. reading. And then I was like, dang. So I'm getting like Garnet Spears vibes. Mm, Wasn't that the same? Oh gosh, no. But I mean, like, because there was a book and you didn't really know a lot, and then you read the book and you were like, "Well, this is horrific," and made like you couldn't leave stuff out after that because it was all important. That's actually one of our most listened to episodes. Is Garnet? I know. Well, that (laughs) happened because it like they were did like a show or something like on it, and so I think people started like looking into it. So, but. Yeah, there was quite a lot of details in that book. And it's kind of the same for this one. Like, this could be an entire season Mm. of a podcast, in my opinion. Because there's a lot of little things that go into it that you could totally spend entire episodes on. Okay. Clearly, I'm not doing that. So there probably will be things that if whoever gets this book reads it, they'll probably be like, why did you leave that out? Well, I had at least something out. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm giving you what I felt like was the most important things. And even now it's still a long case. So an overview. Got it. I'm here yeah. for it. Um, But trigger warning, I'm going to give it to you now. And I think I actually give it to you again at a different part in the um, episode. But it just includes sexual assault and torture of two 12-year-old girls. So if it's not something that you want to hear besides you, you cannot leave. (laughs) um, Then I suggest skip it. But it's an intriguing case and really makes you think about um, a lot of things, including the law. Uh oh. So, okay. So for today's case, we are going to Essex Junction, Vermont. Have we been no. to Vermont? I don't know if we have. We I went just... to Vermont for a little bit for Maura Murray. Oh, but... right, right. Okay. Well, yeah, this happened in Vermont. So, okay. So apparently it's very beautiful. I've not been to Vermont. I don't know why, but apparently it's real pretty, real green, the landscape, all that. Um, it, this is a small, quiet town that has very little crime and almost no violence. It's close to the northwest corner of the state. So it's like just over the border of New York State, like that upstate mm-hmm. part, and not far from the um, Canadian border. Okay. Way north. Yeah, it's way north. I mean, Vermont's way north. Anyway, but like just kind of giving you an, an idea. So. There was a jail that was built there in 1870, but in 1938, it was actually dismantled because they didn't have enough crime in the area to warrant it. Like, wow. I think it probably, probably, like, cost them more money to run it than – and there was, like, hardly anybody in it. That would be great to have uh, for jails to be obsolete because – Right? Yeah. That's like utopia. Right. Yeah. Well, go live in Essex Junction, I guess. Yeah. Well, maybe not anymore, but – cold up there it is cold okay so um there was 
so little crime that when a couple was robbed in 1980, the Boston Globe ran a story titled, When City Terror Hits the Town. Okay. And they were (laughs) robbed. Okay. And they were like, just robbed. I mean, not just robbed. I shouldn't say that. But like, it was kind of like, oh, oh, this happened in this town. We've got to report about it. Like, big news. (laughs) So anyway. They had about 14,000 residents. And I want to say it was like the second largest town in Vermont, but it's like still not. It's not big. So clearly like there's just lots of small teeny towns in Vermont, I guess. IBM had a campus in that area, which had about 8,000 employees. So it's like they were bringing like half of half employees in the town, (laughs) you know, like not that they all lived there, but like half of the town's population. What what there was employees at IBM. Anyway, so Melissa Missy, as she will be called in the story, Walbridge and Megan O'Rourke were both twelve year old girls and best friends who lived in Essex. Missy was an honor student who was also somewhat of an entrepreneur. She had just started a babysitting business and had gotten in trouble in school for working on her business cards. Oh, how cute! I know. <laughs> I, that's, not, that's what I want. I wish, I wish my kids were getting in trouble for doing that in school. <laughs> Please. Right now. <laughs> so um, she had made $200 in babysitting and had made her mom a promise that she would take her on a Caribbean vacation one day with her baby. Oh, my parents. gosh. Yeah, so sweet. Her parents, Eric and Marie, were no doubt very proud of her. Eric was a physicist, and Marie had a wallpaper and painting business that she ran out of her garage. Melissa also had an older brother named Judd. Megan is a blue-eyed, blonde-haired cutie patootie who wants to be an actress when she grows up. Yes, Megan. Yes. She had an older sister, Jennifer, in college in Boston who was studying drama. So I guess she maybe she wanted to like follow in her sister's footsteps. Very cute. And an older brother, Timothy, who was also in college. Her parents are Stephanie and Jim, who both had jobs about an hour away in the capital of, now I've heard many different ways of pronouncing this, but Montpellier. Okay. No idea. It's French, so I I mean, I've heard of it. I knew it was the capital of Vermont, but I still have no idea how to say it. And also, random fact, here's my McDonald's fact. I don't know if it's still true, but whenever this YouTube video that I saw, because I definitely Googled how to pronounce the capital (laughs) of Vermont. And there was lots of YouTube videos. Anyways, this is the only state capital in the U.S. without a McDonald's in it. Wonder why. Because it's probably teeny tiny, tiny, and they don't have room for it oh my gosh it's got to be really small if mcdonald's is like nah yeah i mean i don't really know if that's like (laughs) the reason but anyway it's funny megan who was looking forward was looking forward to the weekend because missy's father had promised to take the girls to a drive-in movie so the two girls attended lawton middle school together they walked i'm sorry at the time of this incident she was looking forward to that weekend. Clearly I have not given you a date yet. So, and I just realized that when I said that, but I'm getting there. The two girls attended Lawton middle school together. They walked the mile and a half to and from school each day together, sometimes with a group of kids that was also walking like somewhere near the neighborhood, or sometimes it was just the two of them. There was a park just across the street from the school called Maple street park. The girls sometimes would go to the park and hang out or even take a shortcut through the woods along the railroad tracks 
Although, I mean, and most of the kids did that too. It was highly advised against by the school, basically because they were afraid of them getting injured by walking on the uneven ground or getting their foot stuck in the tracks or whatever. It wasn't because they were like, you know, you're walking alone in the woods. Also, it is illegal to walk on railroad tracks. Well, yes. Fun fact. Yes, I knew that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that they were walking on them as opposed right. to just like along them. I don't know, mm-hmm. but I'm sure they probably did walk on them too at times. Right. Just okay. Who wouldn't unless the police were there? So <laughs> anyway, on the morning of Friday, May 15th, 1981, the morning started just like any other. The girls woke up around 6, 630, got ready for school, and they were going to walk together. Most days they would like meet up at a certain spot along the path and but this day, Megan, for whatever reason, walked all the way. Maybe she was early and she's like, well, she's not going to be there. I'm just going to keep going. She walked all the way to Missy's house and got there about 7.45. They took the 20-minute walk to school and then they got out typically around 3.15. On this particular day, Missy had to turn on a, turn a report in to the music teacher that was due. So the two went together to the music teacher's room, but she was busy talking to somebody else. So they kind of had to sit and wait for a few minutes. After that, they decided to stop at that park, Maple Street Park, across the street for a bit, and they sat on the swings talking as two 12-year-old girls should do. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't go home and watch TV. Just sit on the swings. That's what I say. It was somewhat of a <laughs> – sorry. I'm going, through, I'm going through screen time issues with my kids. I'd rather them go sit on a park swing somewhere than be on screens right now. Well, I would say that's true, except I feel, I mean, we know where this is going. So like, no, go home and watch TV. Yeah, that's true. So on this particular day that was somewhat rainy, it was kind of raining on and off. And so while they were sitting on the swings, it wasn't, but at some point it started to rain. So they're like, okay, I guess it's, you know, time to go home before it starts to pour. Missy wanted to take that shortcut through the woods, but Megan was against it. Because just two days prior to this, on Wednesday, she happened to walk home alone. I don't know why. I don't know where Missy was, but she walked home alone that day. And she had seen these two, what she called scuzzy-looking men. And she kind of got freaked out after she passed them. And then kind of, you know, you're walking and you're not – you don't want to look back because you Mm -hmm. don't want to, like, make it obvious that you notice them. Or maybe you do sometimes, but you still, I don't know. Sometimes I don't want to look back because I don't want people to think that I think they're bad, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Okay. Anyway. Playing a little game with them in your head. I got it. Okay. (laughs) A little mind trick. So, but anyway, she heard like a crack behind her, kind of like a stick breaking maybe underneath someone's foot or leaves crunching or whatever. And so she was like, uh, are they following me? So she started to walk, like pick up her pace a little bit, walk fast. And then she just started running and was convinced that they were chasing her. She kept running until she got somewhere more public. Hmm. She never told anyone about this except for Missy. She didn't tell her parents and tell anybody. Mm-hmm. But she was still really freaked out about it because it was yeah. just a couple of days before. So she's like, I don't, I don't really want to go through the cut through. Mm-hmm. You should listen to that little voice, that gut mm-hmm. voice. Yeah, and they should have. But Missy insisted and was like, Don't worry, it'll be fine. We'll be fine. It's much faster to get home than the rain. So mm-hmm. they decide to go for it. A little over an hour later, Alton Brusso, a 60-year-old railroad worker, saw a girl walking along the train tracks in a red bathing suit, which at first he was like, 
that's kind of weird considering this like dreary rainy day. And plus, I mean, I don't know what the typical weather is, but I feel like in Vermont, it could probably be like touch and go whether it's cool or hot, you know, because mm-hmm. those northern states sometimes don't get super hot until like summer. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm yeah. So it seemed a little weird to, for somebody to be walking in a bathing suit, especially since it was raining. But as she got closer to him, he noticed this was not a bathing suit. She was naked and it was blood all over her. Oh my gosh. Seeing. He yelled for the train to stop and ran to her, and she said, please help me, sir. I've been raped. Oh, my bless her heart. Yes. He immediately scoops her up and starts running with her, like in like 60-year-old man just running with her in his arms to get help because they're, they're on train railroad tracks. Like there's like no road for somebody to get to. So he's literally mm-hmm. running so that he can get to like, I don't know if it's the IBM parking lot or like somewhere close by where they can get somebody to come out and help. And he's like yelling, somebody call the cops, like tell them to meet us. I've got a girl here. Has the train stop? He gets really tired at one point. I mean, he's an older gentleman. And so another man, Howard ends up taking over and is holding her. And she whispers, my friend is still in the woods. Or my friend, she's still in the woods. Some Something along those lines. An ambulance is waiting for them when they get out of the woods. And she was identified by some of the law enforcement officers and, like, paramedics and stuff as Megan O'Rourke. Because it's a small town. Everyone knows mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. Howard told them that she had mentioned a friend. And so they all knew that the friend in the woods was probably Melissa Walbridge because they all knew that they were best friends. Mm-hmm. So police start their search in the woods for Missy. They notice an area that looked kind of freshly disturbed. So they kept trying to like follow that kind of path through. And then they had to dunk under all these limbs and they come to this area that had these two large, like wet foam rubber mattresses, which I never looked up because I always thought that was really weird. Foam rubber mattresses. Like, I don't, is it foam rubber? (laughs) Yeah. Foam. I don't know why that every time I see that together, I'm like, really confused because my mattresses are neither foam nor rubber but i know foam i don't know rubber mattresses but and also pick one like it can't be foam foamy rubber rubbery foam that's exactly what i think every single time i think okay so find these mattresses there were beer cans liquor bottles shreds of paper cigarette butts all over so this is clearly a place that like someone's hanging out at sometimes here and there that's creepy and gross yeah one of the mattresses have has like a bulge in it that looked like someone had like crawled out from underneath it. And then they came up upon the second mattress and they could see a small arm coming out the side and the top of a head. <gasps> when they lifted the mattress, there was Missy lying face down naked. She had a sock tied around her head like as a gag. Oh. And her hands were tied behind her back as well. It was clear. That she was dead. Mm. Police were trying to keep their names under wraps. So they were trying like not to use them over the radio at times, but they did or, and just kind of trying to like hold it back from like the news coverage that was coming and people that were like surrounding. Cause all of a sudden there's cop cars everywhere. So they're trying to keep their names quiet until they were able to um, notify parents. But clearly when they're using it over the radio and stuff, People are hearing it. And also, this is also the time of, like, people having um, scanners at their house. Yeah. People who have scanners are, like, hearing this. And one person ends up calling Missy's mother. Oh, no. And says, 
Missy was the one in the woods. Like my brother's listening to the scanner and Missy's the one in the woods. And so she ends up calling the hospital, like to check on Megan, number one, and then ask, what what about my daughter? Yeah. And so one of the people at the hospital is one of like the district attorney or something, you know, whatever, the deputy state's attorney. And she ends up taking the phone from somebody and she's like, yes, I'm really sorry to let you know that it was Missy and and her mom just kind of like hangs up and has to handle that on her own. So Missy had wounds in her chest like she had been like hacked. Oh my gosh. She had X's carved in her chest and she had been shot with a BB gun multiple times. A BB gun? Yes. All right. One of which went through her eye. Oh my gosh. She had also been sexually assaulted. Her body was not taken out of the woods until 10 p.m. that night after a medical examiner gave like the all clear. Okay, go ahead and take her. Later, her autopsy would state that she had been shot five or six times in her back, thigh, stomach twice, neck, and left eye. She had 29 separate wounds. (gasps) She was cut with a knife, stabbed with a knife, shot with a BB gun, had a blunt impact somewhere, slashes on her chest, forehead, stab wounds in her neck, fractured bone and cartilage in her neck, swollen cheeks, and hemorrhaging in her larynx, trachea, and her eyes from, like, being strangled. She was tortured. Mm -hmm. That is violent. It was. One of the stab wounds was the fatal blow because it pierced her heart. It was determined that most of her wounds occurred while she was alive. Oh my gosh, bless your heart, little girl, little mm-hmm. baby. I can't, I mean, I, I, I mean, we say this all, I can't imagine, you're 12. I, I can't imagine as an adult having to endure something like that. You are 12 years old. Oh, anyway. Many of the knife wounds had a fishtail appearance, which apparently happens when the knife goes like in in one direction and out in another. Okay. And this apparently happens either because the victim is moving around or the hand of the perpetrator isn't steady enough to just like go in and out or whatever. Okay. Meanwhile, Megan was being attended to at the hospital. She had life-threatening chest wounds that were very close to her heart and one of which punctured her left lung, but she Uh was still alive. She had a circular puncture wound on the right side of her neck and one in her chest, and those were from being shot with a BB gun. Mm-hmm. At close range. She had scratch marks against across her neck from a blunt-edged object. Her cheeks and eyes were crimson red from being strangled. On the first night in the hospital, she was questioned by police. So you're brought in, in this state. Mm-hmm. And 12. She's a punctured lung. Yes. Ugh. And you're questioned by the police, which I totally understand because they're like, what the F? We need yeah, to figure out what happens. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't even have a jail because we have no violent crimes. And this is happening to two of, like, our 12-year-old girls. Like, we got to figure this out. So they ask. She knew who did this to her, and she said no. They asked. Basically, they were like, just shake your head yes or no to these questions. Like, we understand that you can't talk right now. Anyway. They asked if she was, if they were in a car or if she was brought in a car. At one point, she said no. 
asked if she knew what they looked like, and she said yes. She ends up, before she falls asleep, gives them a brief description. She said there were two men. Both were white. One had blonde curly hair, and the other was taller with dark hair and a beard. Uh And I want to say at this point she says that she also saw them two days ago. Those were the same Uh two that she was. the scruffy-looking men. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it was at this point or a little bit later on. She does end up saying that she saw them before. Mm -hmm. Police immediately fanned out with her description to see if they could get any clues. They spoke with a man near the area who saw her being carried out of the woods, but he didn't see anything prior to that. A woman who had seen two men's in the two men's two men's Men's. in the woods matching their descriptions a few days earlier. And they also got a report from two custodians who had been sitting in a truck just across the street from the park. They were sitting there because it had been raining and they were supposed to put the lines on the baseball field in that park. And But they were kind of like, do we have to do it because it's raining? Is there going to be a game? They were just kind of like sitting there debating, do we have to go and do this or not? And they saw these two men walking toward the woods or into the woods toward the railroad tracks that matched the descriptions. But they said, we've never really seen them before. Like, can't. We can't tell you who they are, except that that's what they look like. Like what she said is what they look like. So everyone in this small town thought it had to be somebody from out of town, like Mm -hmm. out of the state. There's nobody here that's going to attack these two girls in the way that they did. Just, Mm -hmm. it just won't happen, wouldn't happen. And if it was the case, would there, like, if this is the case that they were from out of town, would they ever even be able to bring them to justice? Cause they're probably gone already. Mm-hmm. Like what are the chances that we'll figure out who this is? So they bring in a sketch artist that night to the hospital and over hours and hours, they work with Megan. She would like fall asleep and then come back too. And basically the sketch artist was showing her pictures and said like, just nod when I, when you see like the eye shape that you know, notice or the nose shape or mouth, whatever. So she was just showing her pictures of different parts of the face to get a rough sketch. The next day they brought what they had, like they brought the sketch they had and she indicated that the hair was too short on one of them. So they worked all day again, sketching in a better shape. And by Sunday they had their first composite sketch. The artist wasn't thrilled and didn't think it was like, Great, but they had something to go on. It's mm-hmm. better than nothing. Meanwhile, on Saturday, which is the next day, back they the police went back to the woods and they would just like form lines. And apparently they had like police from other neighboring cities that were coming to help it, like or well, doing good. Yeah, something because this is a tiny town. They don't have mm-hmm. a whole lot of police in the town, but other towns were like sending people in or sending notes saying, We're so sorry, we can't afford to send our one police officer because the next town Mm -hmm. was even smaller or whatever. But at least all the surrounding towns are like on the lookout for these two men. Right. Exactly. Because just because Essex Junction is tiny and they're like, nobody from our town is going to do it doesn't mean it's like, you know, like there's still towns right next to Mm -hmm. it. So Anyway, so they're forming like lines and they're just walking back and forth, sometimes even crawling on their hands and knees to just like comb every inch of the area for any clues or evidence that they could possibly find. And they picked up like anything that they saw. They recovered a pellet canister, like from a BB gun, Mm -hmm. a used O2 cartridge, which 
correct me if I'm wrong, it like you would be used for a pellet gun. I'm assuming that's what gives it the like. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oomph to like shoot. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but anyway. And they found some clothes that the family later identified as some of the girls' clothes. Oh, but wow. it wasn't all of theirs. There was still a green knapsack, which I also, every time I see that word, like, because we use backpack all the time, but I remember yeah. knapsack being used at some point. Oh, it's like a New England thing or something? Maybe. Maybe it is a Northern thing, because I remember hmm. totally calling it a knapsack. But anyway, a bright blue travel bag, which I'm not exactly sure why, unless one was going over, unless that was her ba- book bag, or maybe she was going over to her house and spending the night. I don't know. But mm-hmm. it's a bright blue travel bag, blue jeans, and a burgundy jacket were still missing. Calls were starting to come in from the community. A suspicious man had been staying at the inn in town, and he matches the description. And so then they go and they take a look at him. And at some point, he was arrested for assault on a child in a park. But ultimately, the police in Essex released him. But they were like, don't go far. Like, they didn't have anything to, like, hold Mm -hmm. him except knowing that about him. But they're like, don't leave town Mm because, you know, you're not out of the woods yet. But he did. And he was picked up in New York by cops and he was with a blonde haired companion. And the cop, the police in Essex were like, well, they had a blonde. So he was darker haired. Well, he had a blonde haired mm-hmm. companion. Like, tell us about it. But find out it was a woman. So oh. and these are two men. In the end, for whatever reason, they end up coming to the conclusion that it was not this guy. There were also two men working on the tracks that fit the description, but they had alibi. So they were also not. These are just like people are calling in. They're like, we've got to figure this out. Here's everything we've seen in the last however many days. By Sunday, Megan was out of danger. So she was able to, you know, talk a little bit more and give a little bit more detail. She survives. She did. Yeah, she did. I should have said that. She survives. So she had told police, oh, this is at the point, that she had seen these two men two days earlier in the woods and was scared of them at that point because they just looked Mm -hmm. scuzzy, like she said. One had dark hair and a beard and was wearing jeans and dark boots and had mean-looking eyes, she said. Now, these descriptions are clearly 12, like, kid description, mean-looking eyes. Gosh. The other had curly blonde hair and was wearing tennis shoes that had yellow stripes on them. The guns they had looked, the guns they had, she says, looked fake-ish, kind of like plastic. And she remembers one of them saying, now you will know what it feels like when a pig gets slaughtered. Oh, oh gross. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. What Awful. monsters? Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the monsters. And just wait till you freaking find out who these monsters are. Now... Here's the part where Megan tells police, as the best she can, what happened to her and Missy. So here's your second trigger warning. Oh, my gosh. I got to go. It's graphic. If you want to mute it, it's fine. I'll, like, give you the thumbs up. You're not going to let me do that, Christy. (laughs) Okay. Megan said the two came from behind them and put their hands over their mouths and dragged them for a little bit and told the girls to come this way, and if they tried to yell, they would shoot them. So at this point, they didn't see the guns. They just knew they had guns to them, and they were – I think one said, like, this is a whatever caliber gun. So they were even pretending they were real at first. They instructed the girls to take their clothes off. The curly-haired man instructed her, and the dark-haired man was the one that instructed Missy to do it. Megan said that she did 
what the guy said because she was scared, but Missy struggled with them and was like telling them, no, no, I don't want to do this. I'm 12 years old. Don't make me do this. <laughs> and and it was actually interesting because the book that I read talked about how, I don't know if there was a case, I can't remember the exact reasoning, but like Missy was like, not obsessed, but like had been talking about rape lately. So there must've been a story in the news or something. And she was just like, I would fight them if it was me. And blah, blah, blah. like she was like, had something. Mm-hmm like something fierce about this. So anyway, the dark haired guy ends up taking her clothes off for her. Then she said, Megan said her, her guy made her suck on him. Mm. Megan then described one trying to put their penis in, but he couldn't do it. And then she described being raped by the other and forced to have anal sex. She said she was gagged with Missy's sock and her hands were tied behind her back with her own shirt. She remembers seeing the knife that killed Missy. She also said that Missy struggled a lot and tried to talk to them and say things like, oh, I really like you. I wish you wouldn't hurt me. But Mm. it was all in vain because they end up pushing her down, choking her and stomping on her back. Oh, my gosh. The black-haired man hit Megan in the back with something. She said it felt like a sleeping dart because it was sharp. And then she said she fell asleep after that for a little bit. Mm. And I want to say that that might have been when the fatal blow to Missy happened because she, Megan never saw exactly who stabbed Missy that last time. There were bits and pieces, like I said, that were missing for her because she was had lost consciousness. Do you have something? Well, I just was going to say, hopefully that was also her brain's way of like blacking out, you know, like trauma response to preserve mm. her own sanity. Right. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, she remembers quite a bit. Just not yeah, every she little thing. Police started to qu- question their initial thoughts on it because they're thinking, why would perpetrators have BB guns? Do adult men use BB guns? Like- who uses BB guns? And they also start second-guessing the out-of-towner angle because Megan's like, I saw them two days before in the same park. And so they were like, it wouldn't be somebody that was just passing through unless they were there for a few days and then left, I guess. So, But they were kind of like, maybe we can't rule out that it was someone closer. On Sunday morning, a woman comes into the police station with the newspaper in hand because they had put out their first composite sketch in the newspaper. She worked at Henry's Market in town. She said that the sketches in the paper look like these two boys that come into the market all the time together, and their names were Jamie Savage and Louie Hamlin. The police officer she spoke to recognized these name, names because he happened to bust Louie's brother before for something and also had gone to Jamie's house for a domestic disturbance call, which was Jamie saying that he was going to kill his dad. And when he arrived to the home, Jamie was, had a paring knife in his hands and the officer, like they were able to like control the situation. And Jamie just like dropped the knife and was like, whatever, like anyway, but he knew those names. So he wrote the names down on a card, but just like stuck it on the pack, the stack of like possible leads because his initial thought was like, they're two troublemakers, but they're not killers. Uh... Then on Monday, a principal at the high school in the town over 
Burlington, I believe, came into the station and said the two sketches look like a couple of his students. Their names are Jamie Savage and Louis Hamlin. Okay. Okay. A waitress from the inn came in and said that the sketch. Students. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. One of the waitresses from that inn came in and said one of the sketches looked like one of her coworkers, whose name was Jamie Savage. On Wednesday, she didn't know, she had never seen Louis, I don't think, so she couldn't say the other one looked like his friend because, I mean, it was when he was working. I think, I know Louis came in there every now and then, but maybe when she wasn't working. On Wednesday, Louis's mother came into the station. Oh my gosh. And was nervous that he was involved because she had just given Louis a haircut and trimmed his beard for him because he asked her to. And also when she washed his clothes the other day, she noticed his clothes were wet and sandy. So let's chat about little Jamie and Louie for a minute, just for a minute, because I am not giving them the time of day, except just to give you a little background. Jamie Savage was a 15-year-old high school dropout after just attending for a few months. 15? Oh, boy. He had never really done well and just didn't think it was worth it. He had dropped out and was working at the Lincoln Inn in town. And he was only working there because he had lied say, to the owner saying he was 16. So he got the job. He graduated from junior high without being able to read and write. He was suspended from school often, but never expelled. He doesn't have the best home life. He's quite an unru- unruly kid and his parents just kind of can't keep a handle on him. So it's almost like they just like threw their hands up like, well, what are we going to do? He's like 15 and smoking cigarettes in his house. So clearly they've thrown their hands up. You know, like, I'd be like, no, get your ass out of here. Like, you're not smoking you in my house. can't even buy cigarettes at 15. Well, I mean, in the 80s. Oh, well, true. <laughs> he self-admittedly lies all the time and steals, whether it's money from his parents' room or from a local store. He actually said he stole from the local stores like two to three times a week, starting at the age of 10. So yeah, not like most upstanding oh citizen here. Nothing was ever really done because at this time, the law is that juveniles cannot be prosecuted for crimes. So they would just get away with anything that they did with a slap on the wrist because they cannot be prosecuted. What? And these kids knew that. This is like a, the book that I read. It's a whole thing about how the law was and how during this time teenagers literally knew that's what it was. So they just did whatever the heck they wanted because they knew until they were 16, nothing could happen to them. You know, this explains things about my siblings. <laughs> who were teenagers. I mean, I, I don't even know if it was a law everywhere, but I'm sure it was probably pretty common. If it was, if it was a state law, I'm sure it was state law in a lot of places, but anyway, I don't know. Anyways. Okay. That is wild. Isn't it? And unfortunate. It is very unfortunate. So his parents did notice on the night of the attack while he was watching the news, he smoked like two packs of cigarettes sitting there while he's watching and just seemed like weird. And he didn't eat dinner. So they were just kind of like, that's weird, but didn't really think, well, it's probably because he killed them. So anyway, now we have Louis Hamlin. Louis is 16. He's had a pretty rough upbringing as well. His dad's a hot mess, and I'll get into that whole situation later, but he's not a good person. His mom just gave, kind of gave up on him, too, because she got she married someone not so great and had kids, like, barely 
pretty quickly and she just kind of let herself go and wasn't happy. Like she, you know, she had a lot on her plate, a kid that's not listening to her, probably others too, because apparently his brother was arrested at some point, you know, she just wasn't much of a mother to him. Louis started stealing at six years old. Six? Oh, right. Yeah. Apparently he also stabbed his brother on several occasions, not life-threatening, but again, nothing happened to him because he's a kid. What in the world is going on up there? Uh, Yeah. Two days before his 15th birthday, hold on, hold on to your freaking pants, his mother reported him to police for attempting to rape his own sister. Oh, not okay. When her sister is questioned, I guess another trigger warning, guys, she said, because she was younger, he put his thing inside me twice, once in front and once in back. Um, so he did rape her. Well, hold on. Later, she said his penis just touched between her legs and between her butt cheeks. So, like, he tried to but didn't penetrate. Still. But for same difference. her, it was like, you know, uh, the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, because she's little. So. He ordered. He was ordered to counseling sessions, which he never attended, because they can't prosecute him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. He was sent to foster care under a voluntary care act. He then stole a car and was arrested, but again, he couldn't be charged with a crime, so he was released. Mm. His parents took him back, but then kicked him out again, saying they needed to protect his sister. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Eventually, he goes back home. After he turned 16, he encountered a college student one day walking along the train tracks, and he attempted to attack her and planned to sexually assault her. But she was able to subdue him and ended up snapping him, like, out of whatever he was in by talking to him and ends up walking, like, back into town. I mean, because they were, like, isolated on these train tracks. So she did what she needed to do to kind of, like, get through the situation and they walk back to town where she then reported him. He did plead guilty to this, to a simple assault. And since it was because he was 16 at this point, his first time, I think, offender, he got a suspended sentence with the agreement that he would get alcohol counseling. Which then, but the, it's not his first time. Well, but it is like, because there's still there's a record no, of the counselor. No. Or, no. no, you're a first time offender because you have not been convicted of anything. Even though there was like agreements in place, but he never did anything. This is this is what was problem with the law at the time <sighs> of this. So just a few weeks before the attack happened to Missy and Megan, Louie went to a friend's farm and took part in slaying pigs for the day. Wow. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he said the thing about you'll know what it's like to be a slaughtered pig. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. He never really had any good school experiences because he was huge and looked at least 10 years older than any of the other students his age. So, which would explain why Missy was saying two men, uh-huh. not boys, that they saw. Uh-huh. He was also very violent at school, which is why he was actually at home or like suspended from school at the time of this attack because he had gotten into a fight days before and was suspended. So he was not in school 
on the days of these attacks. So Jamie and Louie hung out nonstop for days because Louie was suspended. Jamie's dad didn't want Louie at their house because he thought he was a bad influence on Jamie. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't really know. I mean, I get he is a bad influence, but Jamie's not the greatest person either. Well, true. Jamie's mother thought he was a nice kid, and so she allowed him to be there. So when um, dad was out of town, I think he wasn't because he had slept the, spent the night at their house that night, and he was out of town for some reason, but he had to leave before he got back into town. So police start to pay a lot more attention to Jamie and Louie at this point. And on May 21st, which is almost a week, I think it was like the next Thursday after the attacks, they go to both of their houses simultaneously very late at night. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it was late at night, but. Because they knew they'd be there. I guess. And ask them to come into the station to complete some tests related to a crime committed on May 15th. They didn't have enough information to arrest them. Mm-hmm. So they needed them to come in voluntarily where they were just going to try and see if they could get them to admit to things and start talking about it. Mm-hmm. And at the exact time that they were doing this, they were bringing two photo books that they had put together to Megan in the hospital for a photo lineup. Okay. They needed her. If they knew if they could get her to positively ID them, then they could arrest them. Mm-hmm. Immediately – as soon as Louie's dad finds out that they're at the police station, he says he doesn't want Louie to answer any questions. He sh- needs a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. So basically they're talking with them. With Louie shuts down. Okay. His mom is with her him. And I want to say Jamie's mom and dad were with him. The police called the hospital earlier that day and asked them not to give Megan any sedatives so that she – you know, nothing could be said. Well, she was under the influence of whatever when she made this, you know, ID, yada, yada, yada. So they bring her the books. They gave her very explicit instructions. They say, look at every single picture before mm-hmm. you even make an ID because you could think someone looks like it, but then later on you're like, oh, and you don't want to second guess yourself. You, We need this to be positively who you pick, mm-hmm. just one person from each book because they had one with – for Louis Jamie, and one and with Jamie in it. Okay. Yeah, because they're two distinctly different looking people. So they don't right. put them in the same lineup. Makes sense. So she's like, okay. So she took the first book, flipped through all the pictures. And at one point, they saw her face and they noticed her face changed. Her eyes got big. She was like clearly in a panic, but she kept going. She mm-hmm. looked through all the pictures just like they asked her. And when she got through the book, they said, can you identify one of the perpetrators? And she was like, yep, flipped to the page and was like him. And it was Louie. Okay. So they're like, all right, there's half the battle. They gave her the next book. She does exactly the same thing. And then after looking at all the pictures, she picks out Jamie. Wow. So they're like, call the station, let them know. We got a positive ID. They call the station and they immediately read Jamie and Louie their rights. Louie wanted the attorney, so he's not talking. But Jamie and his mom sign a waiver and agree to talk. At and first, Jamie is the younger one, right? He's, he's the younger one. He's the old. Okay. Mm-hmm. He went to work. He said, he goes, I went to work at one or work until 1.30, and then I was by, home by 3.30 because apparently, like, it would take him a while to get home. I don't know if he took the bus. I don't know whatever the route he had to take. But he finished work at 1.30 and was home by 3.30. Police then remind him that he needs to tell the truth. I mean, he, they told him, I don't know how many times, like, 
don't perjure yourself because, you know, like that's lying. You have to tell the truth. There are things that we know. You should make sure you're truthful. And he's like, I understand. And I'm telling you the truth. Says the same thing. So then they inform him. They're like, okay, we are aware that on that day in the afternoon, you accompanied Louie to his probation officer's office because people saw you there. Like his probation officer saw you there. You were in the waiting room. So we know that you didn't leave work and go home. Okay. <laughs> you were there. He's like, oh, okay, yeah. Also, which I'll add, this probation officer's um, office is like in the same building that the prosecutor and a lot of all the other people that would eventually kind of take part in this case and investigate it were located. So like he, they, these two are just walking through this building earlier in the day before they do this with all of these people that are eventually going to be like hunting them down. Mm-hmm. So Jamie's like, all right, yep. I did that after work. And then I went to the park with Louie. We brought oh. our BB guns to the park and we were shooting squirrels just as we have done several other times before we go to that park. We shoot squirrels. That's messed up. I, yeah. I mean, don't shoot anything, please. I love squirrels. You know I do. <laughs> I killed two recently myself. Anyway. Not with a BB gun and on accident. Yes, it wasn't. Be clear. Yes. Okay. So that's when he said they saw the girls and Jamie said Louie went to go get the girls, but he did nothing. He said he didn't have a BB gun and only Louie did. But Megan said that they both held BB guns to the mm-hmm. like to the back of their heads, each of them. Yeah. It's a liar. Yeah. So Jamie said Louie hit her with a knife and started slicing the other girl. That girl went down and then he took the other one. And that's when Jamie said he left. Is when no, dude. Louis- yeah, exactly. Because I'm sorry. There's a survivor. Like you are lying. Right. And they actually, so I forgot to mention this, but he was smoking two packs of cigarettes watching the news because it was stated that there was a girl in the hospital who survived. And he had called Louie and said, uh, she's not dead. And Louie was like, don't worry about it. They're not going to find out about us. Like if they haven't figured it out already, they're not going to. Yeah. Jokes on you, Louie. Exactly. So he stated that he never went to the park before that. He and said that, he, they would go and shoot I, squirrels all the time. He's Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and he never saw the girls before that day, which is also a lie because Megan identified them as the people who had – but whatever. Okay. Police explain that they have evidence that they took – or they have evidence and that they took their prints and had them spit on like a slide when they got to the police station. And they're like, you know, we did that for a reason, right? So do you want to revise your story? Like we've got stuff. I mean, it's almost laughable. It sounds like a 15 year old made this up. Yeah. Well, that's because he did. Wow. Okay. And they also, they're like, we, there are things that we know happened that day. So you need to be totally honest. So then he admits to telling Megan, asking Megan to take her clothes off, but he denies all of the sexual acts. They ask him things like, did you try to have intercourse with her? Did you have an erection? Blah, blah, blah. And he would say no to all of that stuff. Like she would make that up. Right. Well, and I believe that's one of the things. Like, why would this girl say that then? Like, why? (laughs) So he was then asked what he choked Megan with, and he said a sock. 
After a bit of questioning, the police started to think that maybe he wasn't understanding certain things that they were asking. I mean, think about it. He got out of junior high without being able to read or write. He's probably right. not the smartest. Clearly. Know, book on the shelf or the whatever. Not book on the shelf. What is it? <laughs> Crayon the sharpest, in the box. <laughs> the, sh- the sharpest nail in the, I don't know, whatever. In the box. <laughs> anyway. So they're like, okay, do you know what sex is? And he's like, no. Do you know what getting laid is? Or no, first they said, do you know what intercourse is? No. So he had been okay. answering those questions with no, but he didn't know what the word was. So he's like, no, I didn't do that because he didn't even know what it was. Okay. Do you know what sex is? No. Do you know what getting laid is? Yes. Okay. Do you know what an erection is? No. Do you know what a hard-on is? Yes. Okay. So here's the language we have to use in our questioning now, because clearly he doesn't understand the other ones. Did you try to put your penis inside her? Yes, but I couldn't do it. So (gasps) clearly he just had no understanding of what those questions meant earlier. But anyway, not that he would have told the truth earlier, I don't think anyways, but. Oh my goodness gracious me. So that goes along with Megan's story earlier saying like one tried to do it, but he couldn't. And then the other one did rape me Mm -hmm. one way and the other. Louis and Louis's mom eventually end up signing a waiver saying that he could talk because Louis's mom is kind of like, I-, I just want this over with. Like, you need to mm-hmm. talk and tell him because Louis's like, Mom, there's you don't have anything to worry about. I didn't do anything. So he said he was at the bus stop at the time of the attack and that he had been to that park, but not on that day. But my, your friend's talking now, so. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't know he's been. No, rolled on. Okay. Mm-mm. He had a pellet gun, but sold it before that day. So police are like, hey, dude. Louie, Louie. Bro in the other room's talking. Mm-hmm. So this is what he's said already. So then at that point, his mom's like, okay, lawyer. Give me a lawyer again. Wow. So really? Yep. Voids the waiver they signed. Questioning ceases. They're being held with $100,000 bail and could face life in prison. They made his bail, that oh, Louis, sorry, Louis was being held with $100,000 bail and could face life in prison. They made his bail so high because they thought he was safer in jail. They didn't want him to bail out and then the community lynch him that night. Right. That's how mad everyone was. Mm-hmm. They serve a search warrant for Louis's house. They take everything they think that could be related to the crime. They had, apparently they had like bags and bags and bags. They just took everything. Mm-hmm. A few items were a pair of jeans that they think he was wearing, BBs to kind of match the BB gun, like the BBs that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the girls were shot with, the green shirt that they think he was wearing, a BB gun warranty card that was inside a box, but the box was empty, and some knives. They also found some pornography in the basement because clearly they're searching like the entire house. And they come across a locked room in the basement. So they're like... His dad, his dad's name is Butch. Here's where we find out what a gem this guy is. Oh, no. They ask his father to open it. And he's like, that's my private room. You don't have any business in there. And the guys are like, well, we do. Because we have a search warrant for the entire house. And this is part of the house. So open the door. So he has more pornography in there at first. And they're like, all right, well, this guy clearly has a porn addiction. But it's not illegal. But they keep looking. Until they come across a file that's labeled Lisa Hamlin. 
And inside, they find negatives inside the file of a of his 15-year-old daughter in suggestive poses and nude with a naked man whose head is not in the shot. And he is arrested because he has child, child porn. porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of his own daughter. Is is that his daughter's name? Mm-hmm. Okay. Lisa Hamlin, which I don't know if that's the same one that Louis tried to rape before. Mm-hmm. She is younger. It could very well be. I mean, he had mm-hmm. other siblings, so it could very well be the same girl. This poor okay. girl. Yeah. Okay. So here's where you're going to get real pissed. I mean, I, I know you're going to know what you're going to say. Okay. What? That they can't prosecute the 15-year-old because he's not 16 or older. Shut up. I'm shaking my head. Yes, guys. Jamie is 15, so he cannot be charged with this crime. He has to be sent to juvenile court, and he will be ruled delinquent and put in the custody of Social and Rehabilitative Rehabilitative Services Department until his 18th birthday, and then he will be released. So he will be in custody for less than three years. And probably his record will be expunged after that. Yep. I was just going to say. And when he is released, he will be clear of any criminal record. So if he ever commits a crime, it will be a first offender crime. Once again. Because it'll basically wow. be expunged. Wow. But first, he's going to testify against Louis. Well, they want him to. So by the end of all of the depositions, Jamie admits to thrusting the knife into Melissa's chest, which would have been the one to kill her. He takes a polygraph, and it's determined that he's telling the truth. However, police don't really put much stock into that because he lies all the time that he probably wouldn't get nervous. Like the normal person taking a polygraph, and it's supposed to register when you get nervous, your heart rate and whatever, like he's not going to because he admittedly lies all the time. So he doesn't get nervous when he lies. So they're Mm -hmm. like, we really can't trust a polygraph with this guy anyways. But they also don't really care if he's lying or not. Because they're like, well, he's admitting to, to this. Louie was there. Hamlin's attorneys think it's great because Jamie's admitting to the actual murder. Megan survived. So maybe he can get off on lesser charges. Oh, my gosh. But again, police and prosecutors don't care. Like, they want it to be Louie that killed him, killed her. And they kind of question Megan multiple times, but Megan's like, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I can't tell you who did mm-hmm. it. I know they both had the weapon in their hands. Louis did have it, so it could have been, but I can't tell you. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But they don't care because in Vermont, if you're an accessory, you get the same punishment as if mm-hmm. you were the one who committed it. So they were like, we don't care that we don't have the knife okay. in his hand at the time because we're still going to prosecute him and get him on murder and okay. life in prison. So... His attorneys try, Louis's attorneys try two separate times to get a plea deal. The last one was a plea to plead guilty to sexual assault, which would get him 25 max, and also guilty to accessory after the fact, which would get him seven max. When all was said and done, he would serve 10 to 12 years probably, because that would be like minimum. I mean, he'd probably serve more, but they're thinking, well, he could serve only 10 to 12. Okay. I hope it's Prosecutors... Are like hell to the no. We give you that plea, and the community is going to be making death threats against us. Like, no, we cannot plea this out. We are going to trial. Nice. So Louis's trial set for May of 1982. 
His attorneys wanted Megan to do a live lineup because now everyone looks a lot different. He doesn't uh-huh. have his beard, is cleanly shaven, whatever. So they're hoping that's going to trip Megan up and it'll make it less reliable. It did not because Megan's nice. a rock star and she picked both of them out because she's uh-huh. never going to forget those dang faces and eyes. Yeah. Oh. They had a deposition with her a few days later and Megan clammed up about the rape. She couldn't talk about it anymore. Yeah. Actually, since she told it in the hospital, she hadn't been able to talk about it since to anyone, her family, uh-huh. prosecutors, counselors, no one. She wouldn't. It's totally understandable. It. Yeah. About two weeks before the trial, her sister managed somehow at home to get her to talk about it and then coached coached her for the next two weeks on like being able to tell this story in front of other people. Mm-hmm. However, Megan's one ask was that her parents not be in the room when she talked about it. Oh my gosh. This girl, I bless her heart. Mm-hmm. The venue was moved to Woodstock, Vermont, which is about an hour and a half away because they didn't think Louis could get a fair trial or get a jury of uh, unbiased. Yes, unbiased peers. They started jury selection, which they thought was going to be really hard to find people on a Monday, and they actually had everyone picked by Wednesday. Okay. Eight men, four women. All of which had kids, which the prosecution was not thrilled about because clearly all you have to do is picture your kid being the one attacked and you've got a biased opinion right there. So anyway, Jamie ended up not testifying in person because, which I don't understand this, they wouldn't give him immunity. So only his statements that he had made to police and lawyers and in those depositions could be admissible and they were read like somebody was like appointed to read them in court. But I'm like, immunity for what? Because clearly he's not getting charged with this. He's just going to like a rehabilitative sent a rehabilitative center for two and a half years or whatever. Unless it's like, because now he is 16, perjury, like they wouldn't give him immunity for anything hmm. at this point. If something else came up in the trial, I don't know. But he was okay. still only 16 when that occurred. But anyway, I guess if he lies on the stand, then they could get him for perjury because he's 16. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he would he wasn't he wasn't testifying on the stand. So they just read his statements. Megan testified against Louie. She gave all the details she could remember, even about the rape. But like I said, her parents couldn't be in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. She was questioned hard by the defense. They even went as far as to say that she had since she had been having trouble remembering events, that maybe it was possible that she was telling them things that she had heard other people and they, you know, like talking about and that had crept into her memory into her head as memories she was like no nope that did not happen that's not possible i what i'm telling you is what i remember happening yeah what people said so what people are talking about is what she said nobody else was there right so anyway she's like this is my memory until i passed out after closing arguments the jury broke for dinner and deliberations Three hours later, they asked for Megan's testimony to be read to them. Less than an hour after that, they reached a decision. Guilty. Yeah. Life in prison. Nice. From what I can tell, he has been moved a couple of times to different prisons for his safety, once to Springfield, Missouri, (laughs) and then to once to a federal correctional institute in Wisconsin, but I don't know where he is now. 
uh, read somewhere that it was possible that he was up for parole last in 2019, but he didn't get it. Jamie Savage was sent to Waterbury State Hospital, and once his case was secretly adjudicated, he was sent out of state for rehabilitation somewhere in Pennsylvania and then possibly moved to Texas and released on his 18th birthday. And it is believed that he has changed his name and moved to Arizona. A journalist in Arizona came across the name change documents for him, and his name is John W. Barber. (laughs) That's his new name. And he lives in Arizona? Yes. And this journalist who came across these um, name change documents wrote an article, which I couldn't find. I'm going to continue to search for it. But the article was entitled, You Can Rape and You Can Kill, and Then You Can Move to Arizona and Change Your Name. (laughs) I want to read this article. Oh, my gosh. That is – I am feeling – I am having a physical reaction to this information. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. For an hour oh. now, a one whole hour of a reaction. You know, I don't know how I forgot to tell this, but also in Jamie's um, like uh, questioning with the police, he ends up taking them to where the, they threw the BB guns over like a into like a ravine, and they find them and or the knife. No, the, one of the police officers finds the knife at one point, and it's a paring knife, just like the one that Jamie had at, that he used at the end, and. He ends up taking them to where the rest of their clothes are buried. Oh my gosh. Clothes. Okay. So they okay. find all the other stuff. So there that was another part of like, okay, well, yeah, clearly you guys are there. So mm-hmm. okay. I'll also say this is a somewhat it's somewhat of a side note, but this is where things you could dive in if you really wanted to, but because of the laws that were happening, you know, at the time, which caused this freaking injustice, mm-hmm. a couple of moms were outraged at Jamie's sentence and got a petition together because they're like, our, in two and a half years, our daughters have a right to be freaking fearful or yes. anybody, any woman has a re- reason to be fearful. Any person, period. Yeah. That is in they, his orbit. Right. So they didn't know how big of a reach because this is a tiny town that they would have, but they end up getting like 27,000 signatures really quickly. And then people in Canada started one. And other states. And an emergency legislative session was held to determine if they should change the law and lower the age. The mothers were also pushing for the law to take effect that would make it retroactive to keep. I was going to ask you this. Jamie in custody. They did change the laws and they lowered the age to 12 to be convicted. And some crimes have no age limit. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's still the case, like 12, but whatever. This was changed at the time. They couldn't make it retroactive because that's unconstitutional. It's written in the constitution that you can't change a law and then go back and like okay. do that wow. to somebody who's already. So like I said, I, you could have dove well into all of that and the legislative session they had and blah, blah, blah. It's Most of it's in this book. It's called Death of Innocence, A Case of Murder in Vermont, and it's by Peter Meyer, and we will be giving it away because I want this out of my home. I will yes. never get it again if you're interested in it. It's it, but in a nutshell, in an hour nutshell, that's Megan and oh. Missy's story. Well, at least this attack on them was not in vain. Yes. And caught pretty quickly. I mean, within yeah. a week, considering they had like nothing. To start no way that guy's like a good guy now. 
John Barber? No, and so I did read on one Reddit, because this is the one that I was telling you that I was talking to Emery about, and all of a sudden Emery did started diving in, like, deep on Reddit. Okay. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. he wanted to know, like, where the heck are these guys now? Like, what's yeah. going on? And he actually had read that it was believed that he changed his name, and then it was in this book what he mm-hmm. changed his name to. Um, And it's – I went on to Reddit after that, and it said something he said that – they believe this that he did kill again under that name and that he has now been murdered but i have not looked into it i have no idea if that's the case or if that's just like someone blowing steam no clue so you know not that i want anybody to be murdered but if i did mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm just saying i'm not saying i'm just saying girl i don't know had you heard of this like this is like no. Should be ridiculous. Like some podcast needs to dive into this big time. Not us. Yeah, I'm doing it. I told you. I said to you, I could have probably done like three, probably episodes on this. And you're like, would you want to? And I'm like, no, nope. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Just one mm-hmm. long win and be done. Yeah, one and done. <laughs> no. Anyway, I'm done. I'm wow. done with it. I I also am done mm-hmm. with it. Um, you did a great job. How did? Sandy find this case? I actually don't know. Okay. I forgot to ask her. I meant to because I thought about the same thing. Um, I, All I had, I, all we had was like a link to a mm-hmm. news article. And anyway, I didn't ask her. I'm sorry. I should have. <laughs> it is always phenomenal to me how you get these horrific cases. And I don't. I mean, not that my cases are not horrific, but like, no, I, but couldn't, I could not have read that book. Like, no. Well, which is why when I first – I literally picked this up maybe a couple of months ago and I read the first chapter and I was like, I, I just don't have it in me right now. Like yeah. I had to literally know that I needed to like get through this as quickly as possible to read it like when I had time to just plow through it and be like done. Yeah. Well, that was a really interesting um, case. A horrific – I mean there's just no other word for it other than mm-hmm. horrific. But the legal issues are – that is just – Sometimes, you know, sometimes we get it right. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I'm like, we should all leave the country. (laughs) Like, what are we doing? Um, Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was an injustice that was definitely done 50% at least. And rest in peace, Missy. Your story is not dead and your life had meaning. Mm -hmm. And Megan, wow. Gotcha. I don't know where she is now. I I guarantee she's awesome. Yeah. I mean, Megan O'Rourke is kind of like a common name, I think. Because when I looked yeah. it up, there's like millions of pictures. I'm like, no, I don't think any of those are her. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And what a Monday. Look mm. what we did here. Wow. I'm going to go take a shower. Pray a little <laughs> <Yeah>. bit. <laughs> sage. Should I should sage yeah. it? Right. Yes, most definitely. So think some good thoughts. We'll be back next week. We hope that you guys made it through this with us. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that was rough. That was really rough. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, we do have a Patreon. You can come find us on social media and let us know what you think about this case or just hang out and talk about Nice stuff. Unicorns. Mm -hmm. Puppies. Let's talk about puppies. (laughs) 
that's what we should do. We should all go Google pictures of puppies and videos. Uh, yes. yes. Go find your favorite TikTok and get get your joy. Find your joy. Right. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thank you for listening. And always remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet.